So today we're going to talk about, I don't think we've spoken about it in the year and a half that I've been giving this year. Shaila is related to skulas. Um, they don't train you for this in any smicha program that I, that I know of. So I want to share with you three, three actual questions that came my way. And we'll just give like one sort of general mahalik as an answer to all three questions. Uh, one question I got about three and a half years ago. I got the following email. I, I, I dug up the email. Uh, the, I'll just tell you the story. Essentially, the guy, a guy had been married for six months. And he told me that his wife's kala teacher gave his wife a book that uh, about all sorts of good, nice minhagim to observe. And one of the, the things that it said in the book is there's a minuk tov to give tzedakah each time they have tashma shamita. He wasn't clear before, after, I don't think it was during, but you know, each, each time they have, they have tashma shamita. So he, uh, he, 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 would, uh, he broke a $20 bill and would give a dollar each time. But it was getting more and more difficult to do because he didn't always have small change and he had just lost his job. So to give larger amounts was, uh, was becoming somewhat difficult. So he wanted to know, does he need to be matir neder? And if he does need to be matir neder, does he have to be mefarit the neder? Because that could be a little embarrassing. And is there anything to such a minak? The Sefer said, uh, such a minak tov to give tzedakah every time they have tash for shamita. So that was question number one. Question number two, school related, I just got this week. This was what got me thinking along these lines. I got the following email. Rabbi Leibowitz, I hope this email finds you well. Or Hashem it did. I very much, blah, 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 why you Torah, blah, 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 blah. Here we go. My friend recently had a vart, her own. And there's a lot of explanatory uh, parentheses over here. Uh, had a vart, her own, and ran over to us as we were leaving. This is from, from a woman. So she says, uh, my friend ran over to us as we were leaving, saying she had a present for us. Holding a bag, she hands each of us a kitchen knife, parentheses, in a slipcase so that it wasn't hazardous, decorated with beads, parentheses, because it was a present, not because it had to do with the skula, the meaning of the beads. She then explained, parentheses, name of Hassan, and his friends heard of this skula where you buy a knife, you wait to use it for the first time on Rosh Hashanah as a skula for a shidduch. He and his friends tried it, and they all got engaged this year. I would say, Afal Piquet. <laughs> my, my, my mom will call you two days before Rosh Hashanah to remind you to use it, but hold on to it. Now, my friend honestly means well, but we've had the discussion before about skulas and tefillah and uh, about how these things work. She personally really wanted to get married, tried every skula in the book, like, like what? What? Oh, that's what I would, I would have thought, going to Amuka. Like, Cutting her hair an inch shorter than she normally would. <laughs> Any idea? I have no idea. And and and. They like having long hair. It's like the biggest mysterious nefesh. Ah, so to show that it's a mysterious nefesh. Okay. And and now she's engaged. So she just thought because it worked for her in quotes, then she would help us out too. You know, it's always good for someone who just gets engaged and married to take care of their friends. So this is how, instead of setting them up with nice boys, this woman decided that the way to take care of her friends is to give them a beaded knife and tell them not to use it till Russia. If we wouldn't take the knife, though, she would potentially get upset, have her feelings hurt, get frustrated with us. There also wouldn't be any way to deter her from the possibility that schoolers don't work. So, number one, are we obligated to blatantly refuse a school in an outright manner? Number two, if not blatantly refused, should we take the knife and throw it out? Number three, can we use the knife regularly, tovel it, and not waste it, or is it considered an avodazara? Number four, what should we do to prepare for the upcoming wedding, which will include jewelry given out, challah, wine, etc., etc.? I assume she means 
all these things being used in a non-conventional fashion. Uh, number because most weddings have challah and wine and you know and etc. <laughs> number five, out of curiosity, is there any mention of this skula anywhere? Okay, so that was school of Shaila number two. School of Shaila number three has come up several times, but my favorite one was the following email um, from a married woman who is pregnant, and she sends the following. My friend who does not yet have children asked me to accompany her to the mikveh and dip with her because it's a skula for her to have kids. Do I need to do a full bath and normal mikveh preparations prior to going along with my friend to the mikveh? That was her shadow. Yeah, a number of times. Number of times. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> what? Well, no, this, this was the time where I got the question about, do I need to do chafifa? Uh, but normally it's, you know, like, is this a thing? Should I do this? Do I need to count Shivanikiyam first? Do I need, like, there's a lot of, you know, do I need to do badikos? Do I need to, like, they're, they're not sure, you know, which, do I say a bracha? Do I not say a bracha? How many times do I dip? You know, what exactly are the, the parameters of this, uh, this tevila, shel chesed or whatever? So... In order to, uh, to answer all of these questions, let's just maybe like back up and talk about schoolers for a little bit. What I'm going to share with you is what I've heard many, many times from Mori Varabi, uh, Rav Shechter, Shlita, and uh, then we'll come back toward the end and we'll just like actually deal with the questions and we'll, we'll answer the, the questions at hand, what these, what these particular schools might be based on and where something might have been lost in translation or in transmission through the generations um, and, and, uh, and, and whether, you know, and how to answer these, these questions. So first of all, um, Shakhtar often points out when the Torah was given, the world didn't know much about science and was fairly unsophisticated in a lot of ways. So there was tons of superstition in the world. And uh, no matter how much people give up on all sorts of religion and you know, give up on all sorts of, of observance, somehow superstition has a way of sticking. People tend to like... Uh, to really, to really buy into superstition. Um, and the Torah says specifically, especially in light of the fact that you know, superstition tends to survive through the generations and the Torah is timeless, but, but it was particularly pertinent at the time of Kabbalah's Torah, the Torah says a specific issue, that you're not allowed to practice superstitions. What's the difference between those two isurim? So los nichush is that something happens and a person takes it as a simon that he should or should not do something. Even though b'tarach hateva makes absolutely no sense. So you're trying to make a decision in life. So if a uh, you know, black cat crosses your path, if a car drives, a red car drives down the block right now, so that's going to make your decision. That's a simon that you're supposed to do this. So that's, uh, but the red car driving down the block has absolutely nothing to do with whether you should invest in that stock or whether you should marry this girl or whether you should, you know, take this job or whatever the, the decision a person is facing in life. So that's an Isidarais of Nichush. In the Gemara, they had something that sounds a little similar to it. The Gemara says that they would ask a child every once in a while, Psokli Psukech. Tell me a pasuk. And the child would zug a pasuk, he would say what he learned, and they would take that as a simon. So apparently there is some sort of exception, Rav Shakti points out, to use Torah Shabbat as a way of guiding a person. This is what's often called, we don't have Pesokli Pesukeich anymore, but we have what's, uh, people in, in more recent generations did what's called the Gorla Gra. 
There's a famous story that Ravarn Cutler did that when he decided uh, when he was deciding where to go when leaving Europe, and uh, he opened up the Chumash and he found a pasuk that I forgot which pasuk it was, but a pasuk that tells Aaron to go greet Moshe Rabbeinu. So it says Ve'yom uh, Aaron, you know, Leichel Moshe, or whatever. The, I don't remember the pasuk, but go to Moshe, and he said, "Wow, Ramesh Feinstein was ready in America, and here's a pasuk." says, uh, Aaron, go to Moshe. So he decided to come to America, and the rest is history. Lakewood Yeshiva has, I don't know, 10,000 Bachram or whatever, learning Yom and Valayla. It's unbelievable. So fantastic. So uh, there, there is apparently some sort of exception of, 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 of using Psukim of Torah. Now, there is no sort of exception for using any other book. Not Mishnais, not Gemaras, not anything else. Rav Shachter always tells the story that once when he was in Tannersville for the summer, there is a uh, group of Hasidim there that have a minute they like to use the, the Sefer of their Rebbe's Igros, of the letters of the Rebbe, that they, uh, whenever they have to make a decision, they open it up to a random page, they stick a piece of paper in it, close the book, and the next day they open it up again, they look where the paper was stuck, and they read, and they, they use that as advice for their specific uh, situation. And he said that a woman was telling him that she couldn't find the Rebbe's Igris. And they had to make a decision. The son didn't want to go to summer camp that year. He wasn't sure if he should go back to summer camp or come with the family to Tannersville. So they didn't know what to do. So she just took one of her cookbooks. And she opened up the cookbook and she stuck in the piece of paper. And she checked the next day. And it was right there on the page of blueberry pie. And she only makes blueberry pie in Tannersville. It was obvious that the child was supposed to spend the summer in Tannersville. So he, he just pointed out, it's no more ridiculous than the Rebbe's Igros. Meaning it's no... The, 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 your, the, either, either one is a violation of Nichos. It has nothing to do with anything. We're just uh, opening up some random books and using that. That's how we make decisions in life. He thought either one is an Isidoraisa. On Rosh Hashanah, another possible exception, on Rosh Hashanah the Gemara tells us about eating various simanim. But the Nesivas explains it's not really a violation. It's not that when I eat the, uh, the, the, the date that it's going to be Yitamus Soneinu, I forgot which one, right? Tamar Yitamus Soneinu. When I eat uh, whatever, Shayir Bezuchu Yoseinu Kariman, when I eat the pomegranate, it's not that the eating of the thing is what causes it. The Nesivas points out that the Ramban Chumash writes that if you look at in, in the Nevi'im, the way the Nevi'im react to different things, the way the Nevi'im give over their Nevu'ah, there are two modes of giving over a Nevu'ah. Some give over a Nevu'ah without any physical manifestation of what they're talking about, without any demonstration of what they're, what they're saying. They just say, here's the Nevu'ah. Others have a physical, you know, the Valley of Dry Bones, there, there, there's physical uh, demonstration of what they're actually talking about. And the Ramban writes that when there's a physical demonstration, it's a guarantee that the prophecy is going to happen. So the Siva says, maybe the same is true with tefillah, that a person offers a tefillah, so it's one level of tefillah. But if you offer a tefillah accompanied by some sort of demonstration about how deeply you are feeling that tefillah right now, about how deep your kavanos are in that tefillah, so maybe that, that physical demonstration elevates the tefillah. So the simanim says the nesivas, it's not about the simon, it's not about eating the rimon, it's not about eating the, 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 the various simanim. No, what it's about is the tefillah. The whole Indian is the yihiratzon that you say along with it. The yihiratzon she'yitamusoneinu. The yihiratzon she'yirbuzchiyoseinu kareem. Yihiratzon. And we, we accompany that with a physical demonstration, hope, hoping that the pol dimyon strengthens the tefillah, but the tefillah is really the ikr, because Jews believe in tefillah. We do. We don't 
believe that that's a superstition. We believe in tefillah. Shem Tovim points out that uh, our religion is the least superstitious of all religions, but somehow Jews tend to be the most superstitious people. And it's really against, uh, against our religion to be superstitious. That's, that's the issue of Nichosh. What's the issue What does it mean to be Ma'onein? What does that mean? So the Gemara says that that means, the Gemara Sanhedrin discusses, says that means that a person believes that there are lucky times. That there are certain times that are lucky, you know, Friday the thirteenth, that uh, is, is a bad time and a scary time, and then there are good times. There, there is only one exception that we know of to that rule, and that is what the Gemara tells us in Mishnah. Mishnah says in Mishnah that Mishnah Nichnas Av Memat in Besimcha, and the Gemara says Kshem Shem Mishnah Nichnas Av Memat in Besimcha, Kach Mishnah Nichnas Adar Mar Besimcha. Now, what does that mean? So the Gemara tells us what it means. It means that someone who has a din together uh, against the guy, you have. A, you have a, a court case against a guy, a person, if he has the ability to decide when it's going to be, so as far, insofar as it relates to a conflict or a confrontation between a Jew and a non-Jew, we try to avoid having that in Av, or really just the first nine days of Av, the way most Poskum understand. Some Poskum understand until Tuba Av, but Pashtas, the first nine days of Av, and instead, we try to have it during Chodesh Adar because Zman, uh, that's Zman Geula, Yisrael, Purim Pesach, Rashi writes from Sachstainis. That's when the period of Geula really begins, the period of Nisim really begins. That's a very, very powerful time. So, generally speaking, we're not supposed to believe that there is a mazel, but specifically in the area of a confrontation between a Jew and a non Jew. Uh, the, we, 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 we try to relate to Adar and keep it away from Av. Rav Shachta thought that even as far as scheduling a surgery, that someone asked him once, he said, that a non-Jewish doctor that was going to do a surgery and the, uh, on the Jewish uh, patient, on the Jewish child, and he thought that, uh, and the person said, should we not schedule it during the nine days? He said, no, it's about a confrontation between a Jew and a non-Jew. The non-Jewish doctor wants to help you. They, they, they're not trying to kill you. They want to... When, when you have a court case, it's you against them. So then you don't want to schedule that. But when the, when the non-Jew is helping you, he didn't think that that was, that was an issue. One could argue that it's a separate issue, that it's not about the non-Jew issue, it's just about doing dangerous things. That because the mother, one should, should try to stay away from things that are inherently uh, dangerous. Rav didn't think so. He didn't think there was any reason to postpone the surgery. But uh, okay, one could argue that maybe for dangerous things, a separate issue. So th- there is a uh, minag, quoted by the Rishonim, and Mukhe Yosef quotes, um, in, 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 in the Sech Sanhedrin about scheduling a wedding at the beginning of the month. And it's according to Shulchan Aruch. Why would you schedule a wedding at the beginning of the month? Because that's when the moon is still expanding, it's still growing. And it's a simon that the, uh, that the love between the chasen and kala uh, should, should continue to grow. So you want well, while the moon is growing, not while the moon is, uh, is shrinking. So the Mukha Yosef asks the kashri, he has a havamina that this should be asr. They used to dafka, insist that a wedding, not that it's asr to get married at the beginning of the month, but to insist that you have to, to try to schedule a dafka at the beginning of the month because you think it means something. No, it doesn't mean anything. So the Mukha Yosef ultimately says, it's mutter, but, but not because you think that it actually causes anything, it actually helps anything. But it's not, it's a simintov, it's a nice simintov, meaning the lamashim. A kala wears a white dress. Why does a kala wear a white dress? Because it's a simon of purity that she wears a white dress. So if she wears a blue dress, does it mean she's impure? No, it, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean she's going to be impure, she's going to be unfaithful. No, it's just, it's nice to wear something that's a symbol of purity. It's nice to, wear, to, to do things that are, that are symbolic of good, of good things. So he said, that's the pshat, that the, uh, that the idea is that you do things that are symbolic, but, but to, 
you know, when, when going up against other cheshbonos, you're going to delay the wedding uh, five months because all the, the uh, dates early in the month are taken for the next five months, and you don't want to get married until... No, that chas v'shalom, what gives us the right to be battle mitzvah pururu for five months, to be battle, uh, you know, to, to, to go through the, uh, the agony of being engaged for that much longer. No, of course you'd want to, you'd want to get married sooner rather than later. Shatz pointed out that in uh, Reb Tzim Meiselman's um, biography, uh, they, there's a you know, there's a there's a copy of the wedding invitation from when Ramesha Salvechik got married, and there are a few things interesting about the invitation. One interesting thing about the invitation is it's you know on the bottom it says the parents' names, and it said Chaim uh, the I forgot the wife's name, but it said her actual name. That's uh, so Chaim Salvechik never would have been Makubal in like. Uh, you know, Lakewood today or in, uh, in Brooklyn today, you, can, you can't you can't write the wife's name. It's not Sneers. He writes wife's name, but Rukhaim didn't know. He didn't know that it wasn't Sneers. So uh, so he, they, they actually they wrote they wrote the wife's the wife's name. But the other interesting thing was that they got married at the end of a month. He must have uh, not realized that either. They got married at the end of a month. So must so so you see that this wasn't something that they were so mocked about. Rav Teichtal in his Shuvas Mishnah Sachi, he has uh, said he's most known for Sefer Ema Barim Smecha. That's the uh, you know he was originally like a Satmar Chassid, and he through the whole uh, Holocaust he was coming to the realization that uh, it, uh, that maybe we had to reassess everything, that they had to reassess the whole attitude toward the Medina and toward establishing a Medina. There was no Medina yet, but toward establishing a Medina and toward the idea of Zionism. So he wrote a famous Sefer Emevon Smecha, which he wrote completely from memory, which is unbelievable. If, if you read it, it's very fascinating. I, I would recommend, if you ever read Emevon Smecha, read Vayol Moshe and Emevon Smecha in proximity to each other. And, you, you, and note, the, the differences are obvious, but uh, note the similarities in, in just style of learning. It's like, you know, the Hasidic style of learning. It's like one takes that style and uses it this way, the other one takes it and uses it this way. Very, very interesting. But his chuvas aren't so Hasidic. His chuvas are pretty, you know, regular uh, chuvas. And in his chuvas, he writes that there never was a minik dafka to insist on getting married at the beginning of the month. The Hasidic of the Gaonim, that the, these Rishonim, that the Mnuka Yosef quotes, is that you're allowed to, it's permissible to take that into the Cheshmer. To have a, to, to have that as as a simintov that it's mutter to do that that you're allowed to arrange to try for the beginning of the month as a simintov and that's not a violation of losalme that's all um, so those are two of the fundamentally surim then there's also an issue of chukasakum which we we've discussed on several occasions over here um, not everything that the goyim do is necessarily usher of shachlis to always give the example that. Um, you know, the French may have invented French fries, but uh, it doesn't mean that it's us to eat French fries because they're delicious. So if, if there's a good reason why people would do it, so then uh, then, then it's not a violation of Chukasakam. I remember uh, vividly sitting in Shir and he gave the example. He said, you know, Jews would used to wear the long uh, long black coats and the Goyim invented these ideas, a short jacket. So he said, but it makes sense. It's much easier to sit down in a short jacket than in a long black coat. He said, but a, but a tie, he said, a tie really makes no sense. So he held up his tie. He said, "Tie luchar was chukasakum." Like, what does that even mean? I mean, on other occasions, he told us that since that's how we show respect and we dress respectfully, so people should insist on wearing a tie for davening. That you know, instead of wearing a gartel out of uh, out of respect for davening, he said he once saw a guy take, realized that he didn't have a gartel, so he took off his tie and he tied it around as a gartel. <laughs> no, it's the opposite. The tie is a better way of showing respect. So for a while there was a tkufa and why you were a bunch of guys were wearing ties 
for uh, like you know Tuesday mincha, you know, like uh, at every at every tefillah because Rosh Hashanah let that slip in the in the shir or something. But uh, eventually everything went back to normal. Um, the the uh, so so is in in general we always have to look at what the science says. Is there a reason why some practice that we're going to do is going to work? Scientifically, we see that something works as a refu, even though we don't understand. I don't understand why when I pop an Advil it makes my headache go away. I don't know. Maybe it's placebo effect, but probably there's something scientifically that's uh, that's happening, and uh, I don't understand it, but it's proven and it's apparently scientifically proven so uh, so we trust it so that's what the Rambam rejected many of the medical suggestions of the Gemara the Rambam doesn't quote because the Gemara was going with the best science that they had of their time and nowadays we have better science so if a person wants to do brain surgery I don't recommend that you open up a Gemara Ksuvus and read how to exactly where to put the leeches to uh, you know as you're about to cut open the person's skull probably not the best idea because we have uh, we have we have we have, we have a little bit more advanced ways of, uh, of doing these things nowadays and therefore we should uh, you know like for example the Gemara says that uh, not to eat fish and meat so this people are, are pretty mocked about because the later post Gemara aren't sure they're not sure Magna Ram says ah, what do you have to worry about fish and meat nothing to worry about anymore I remember when the first um, Susie Fishbane cookbook came out what's it called you guys aren't married right? Right, so one of those kosher, maybe it was kosher by design, one of the, the first one came out, there was a recipe for uh, like a veal, spinach veal thing that, it, that called for Worcestershire sauce, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Now, Worcestershire sauce is made with, uh, with fish. So that was a big shayla. Everyone was asking the shayla, how can you use that on the veal? The veal is meat and it's fish and meat. So, uh, so it turns out that uh, the, if, if it's just as a good idea to have, that if it doesn't say OU fish on the package, if it just says a regular OU, it means it's batal bashishin. Elamite is machlokas shach and taz, whether sakana could be batal bashishin. Isr is batal bashishin. Machlokas shach taz, whether sakana is batal bashishin. The OU takes the position that if you want to be machmer, you'll read the ingredients yourself. Otherwise, they're not writing OU fish. They're going to rely that it's puzzle bashishin. Plus, I'm going to holes. That's nothing to be worried about anyway nowadays. He says for hundreds of years, we haven't seen anyone get sick. Uh, from from eating meat and fish together, so we're not so mocked now. There's Rashi is not mocked about this at all. I remember the first time he was at my he was just at my house this past Shabbos. First time he was at my house for a Shabbos, my in-laws were there. So uh, so when my in-laws were there, uh, my father-in-law likes to um, have a luchaim on, uh, on Shabbos. So he offered Rashi a luchaim after the fish. So you know, because that's the minute, because you have a luchaim to wash out your mouth between the fish and the meat. So he took the luchaim. He went in Rome. So he uh, he took the luchaim. So I told the son, you know, he always mocked me to have a l'chaim after the fish, before the meat. He says, no, he doesn't even wash off his fork. He, eats, uh, he uses the same fork for, for fish and meat. He was just trying to be trying to be nice. It was great because you get him just a little bit, you know, with a little, <laughs> it was fantastic. He was uh, flowing with different Torah and stories. Was, I mean, he always is, but like even more than usual. So... Um, yeah, so anyway, so, so the, the, the later Akronim discuss, you know, should there be such a thing that we're concerned about fish and meat? So maybe yeah, maybe no. But the concern was that it was dangerous. And Shachalich points out, he says, it's amazing. There are people that they, they wash off the fork and clean it up, make sure they have a different fork, and then it's saying a benyomo, whatever, they're, they're mocked with the fish and the meat. But they're chain smokers, and they're obese. And they, what do you think is more dangerous, for real? Is it more dangerous to have the fish and the meat, or more dangerous to behave, to, to, to live in such an unhealthy way. Just got my Fitbit this week. Okay, so the the Gemara, the, Gemara, the Gemara never says anything about how to cut nails. This was an interesting one. Rav Shakta said, 
You know, the Gemara never says that you should skip nails when you cut. It never says not to cut your fingernails and your toenails on the same day. That's all later that we have, uh, we have such minagam. So he said, where do those minagam come from? I don't know. I, this I thought was a Kiddush. He said, probably it came from because they didn't have nail clippers. So they were using like, uh, like big scissors or knives to cut, their, to cut their nails. And it's not so easy. I remember my, my grandfather, he should, should live and be well, uh, used to have a store in, uh, in Rehovot. And he had a helper. He hired whoever was cheapest tire. So he hired this really old, retired Israeli guy. And uh, the, the problem was the, the customers were like, were chased away by this guy because he would like take off his sandalim. <laughs> He'd put his foot up on the, <laughs> like by the cash register, take out a giant scissor and start cutting his nails. <laughs> his toenails are sort of like, Zaydi, maybe like that's not the best guy to be the first person to see when you walk into the store. So, uh, so it w- if, when people would cut their nails that way, he could cut it. He was using fabric scissors. To cut his, you could cut off a toe. So you need to really concentrate on what you're doing. So what's the best way to increase concentration? First of all, don't cut all 20 nails at once because you're going to, you're going to have uh, fatigue is going to set in and you're going to cut off one of your toes. Second of all, he says, if, if you don't do it in order, so you have to pay attention to how you're doing it. Just by, by adding a little bit of something to focus on, it will increase your focus. I thought that was an interesting shot in, uh, in the, the fingernails. That's, that's what he suggested. And then um, people sometimes get confused. The issue of Ayin Hara. Ayin Hara is a totally separate issue. Ayin Hara is something that we, that is, you know, the Gemara talks about it, and Anami Zara di Yosef Kasina, that anyone comes from Zara di Yosef is not Loshalpe Ayin Hara, that Ayin Bisha is not subject to Ayin Hara. Ayin Hara has nothing to do with like Shadim or like anything. Ayin Hara is a totally different issue. What Ayin Hara means, Rashi in Parshim Mishpatim says that we have to be very careful how we treat an Almanavi Yasom because Kitsu Akimelai, that they cry out to Baruch, that's what the Psukim says. So Rashi comments, that you're punished for mistreating really anybody, not just the Yasam Valmana, but it's Akrushbok's Mimahlipara from from someone who mistreats Yasam Valmana. Why? Because someone who mistreats Yasam Valmana causes them to to cry out to Hashem that they uh, that they're they're hurt by this, they're more hurt by it, and they're gonna cry out to Hashem. It's gonna be a tfilatakrushbok that you should suffer for causing them this this hurt. So that's Ayn Hara. Ayn Hara is that you're gonna cause other people to look at you when you're successful, when you uh, have to post your every success on Facebook and your every uh, moment of joy and happiness. So we see, we see what happens, that it causes other people to be depressed. Look, I go on Facebook and everyone else's life is so happy. It's, uh, you know, something my mother-in-law always says whenever we, uh, you know, whenever she sees uh, relatives in Israel, they have little kids. So she says, she's always looking at the posts of the little children. She says, these are such happy children. They're always smiling. Like, Mom, they're not posting the pictures of the kids when they're crying. <laughs> they're only posting the pictures of the kids when they're smiling. But that's the impression people get, that like everyone else has such a happy life, such an amazing life. Look at that, they're, they're smiling, they're on vacation, they're here, they're, everything's so happy. They, they don't know, they don't see the kids fighting in the car for four hours on the way, you know, driving to the vacation, they only see the happy picture in front of the castle or whatever. They don't see the... the so you get, you get the impression that everyone has such a better life than me, and people feel a sense of jealousy, and that sense of jealousy is what causes HaKadosh Baruch Hu to say, let's even score a little bit over here. You're causing these people to be upset because of your joy. So that's what Ayin Hara is, that a person... So what's the, what's the Teretz to Ayin Hara? So we all know, a right to Bendel. No, that's what the Tosefta says, Beferish HaMasech HaShabbos is Darkei Amorim. That that's not the Jewish way of dealing with it. That doesn't come from Jewish sources. That comes from non-Jewish sources. To do what? What's, to do what? 
to put a red uh, red string on that. Uh, the red string is is, is beferish in the Tosefta, that that's not from Jewish sources. So what is the way of dealing with Ayin Hara? So the Gemara says that uh, it's a, first of all, Hashem a person should live a life of Tznius, not draw attention to themselves, not be so, uh, you know, it's, it's like to, to uh, drive the fanciest car and put a red ribbon around it so that uh, it's, it won't be subject to Ayin Hara. Maybe drive the less fancy car, maybe uh, not, not uh, draw attention always Tar every success, and, and, and also to have a profound sense of Ein Odmul Vadam. Chaim develops the idea to, to, to believe deeply that, and focus on the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs the world. And that everything that happens is because of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Shakta tells the story about how Rav Amram Bloy, of Racha, was uh, he was the father of the uh, Pischei Choshen, his big Nitzuri Kartimik, Rav Amram Bloy. So Rav Amram was a big tzaddik. Rav Amram Bloy um, also not not that because he's in the Nitzuri Kartimik. So Rav Amram Bloy once so he used to daven marv by the Briska Rav on Matzai Shabbos every Matzai Shabbos. So he went to the Briska Rav. Daven marv and Briska Rav says, "How's Rav uh, Zelig Bengis doing?" Rav Ruvain Zalik Bengis was uh, the the, uh, the 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 uh, head of the Eid Charedis um, in his in his time at the same time as Rav Cook. Have you heard of Rav Bengis? Big 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 gong. He was a big super duper genius. They just published his Haggadah. Fantastic, beautiful beautiful Haggadah. Um, he's anyone here learning Yeshiva Rakotel? No, no Yeshiva Rakotel. His uh, Rav Zalik Bengis' great grandson is uh, Rav Ruvain Zalik Taragin. Uh, uh, Kevi Tarragin, the great grandson of Ravengus. They're not exactly the same, but uh, but Ravengus was, was from the Eid Haredes, and uh, both very big Talmud Chacham. And uh, and Ravengus uh, was was very very old. So the Briskrov says, "How's Ravengus doing?" And Ram Boy said, "Not well." So the Briskrov got all upset. He said, "I, I knew it because every time I asked someone how last time last time I asked someone how he was doing, he said everyone's talking about how it's unbelievable. He's so old and yet he's so strong and he's so good and he's so this." So he said, "I knew it was an Ayin Hara that everyone's drawing attention to that to that success." So I knew something was about to happen. So Rabbi said, "Ainoid Mivado." You know, like uh, as a saying that we should uh, once we believe that that will ward off the Ayin Hara. And the Briskrov got very upset at him. Don't, don't just throw around Eino Mulvado like it's a nothing. And Briskov explained to, to people afterwards that Eino Mulvado is something that it's, it's, it's a deep kavana that HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs the world. It's a, it, it doesn't work as like a, you know, a, a school. Say Eino Mulvado and then the Ayin Hara goes away. No, it means that we focus on the fact that all of these schools don't work. That it's all about that it's all about that there's a Ribbona Shalom that runs the world, and that uh, and that's what we're supposed to focus on. Briskov said that when he was running away, when uh, when the Nazis took over Brisk, he was uh, he happened to have been out of town. He was with was his son Rav Beryl, and they were on a train somewhere, and there were Nazi officers on the train, and they were hoping they would get back to Brisk without a, without incident. And they were, they decided they can sit and focus like Nefesh Chaim says, they know it's all in Kodesh Baruch hands, all in Kodesh Baruch hands, and they were having Kavan for that the entire time, strengthening their Amuna, and somehow they were able to, you know, they, 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 the Nazis didn't notice them. Had <laughs> he not noticed the brisker up with the beard and face and everything, didn't notice them. And then uh, when they were getting close to brisk and they saw the forest right outside of brisk, they said, okay, we're getting close. And they sort of let up a little bit, and all of a sudden someone started questioning them, and things got intense for, for them until they, they focused again, meaning it's a focus on the Rebbe Not as a school, you focus on the Rebbe Shalom, runs the world, so you dive into the Rebbe because you know that it's all within his control. So that's what tefillah is is all about, and all the, a lot of these things that we have are really um, just ways of motivating tefillah. So let's discuss some of the famous schools. Um, 
say folding talis after Shabbos is a school for Shalom Bayis. So uh, why do people fold talis after Shabbos? I'm not going to discuss it for too long. There are really two reasons. One is the school for Shalom Bayis and whatever else it involves, shaking out the shadim and whatever else. And the other is that uh, because people don't want to fold something on the on the creases on Shabbos because that might be some sort of Isra Shabbos. So that's a separate issue. That must be my Shabbos talis. I don't know why, but it doesn't have any creases. I'm Zoha to a nice that my, uh, my Shabbos talis has no creases. So I don't have the, the Shabbos issue, just the, uh, the school issue. So Rav thought, why is that a school of folding talis after Shabbos? Because if you leave it, they didn't want to fold it on Shabbos because of the Shabbos issue. So if you don't fold it after Shabbos, then it's just lying around unfolded. And when you leave your clothing around unfolded, your wife gets upset. So a schooler for Shalom Bayis is fold your clothing and put it away instead of leaving it out. That's what he thought the big schooler was. He said that someone was by the Satmar Rebbe once and he was uh, staying in shul long after Shabbos and he was mocked it to fold his talis and he was folding it and refolding it that it should be just perfect and over and over again like a real OCD kind of way. And the Satmar Rebbe, who himself, you know, was sort of OCD in this kind of way, said to him, this is ridiculous, <laughs> you know, what, what are you doing? And the guy said, uh, I'm having Shalom Bayis issues in uh, school for Shalom Bayis, I want to make sure I do it, I do it just right. So I'm going to say, you know what else is school for Shalom Bayis? Going home and helping your wife do the dishes after Shabbos, that's probably also school for Shalom Bayis. You know, the whole, the whole folding with talis is just uh, school in the sense that you, you're just being neat, you're cleaning up your clothing. We ask him, Shabbat many times, Shlissel Chala, he said his wife came home once and uh, decided that uh, it was told by the rabbits in the community that they should make shlisel challah. He said, don't you dare put a key in our challah. It's mamish nichush and this is our raisa. Where does it come from? So it comes from the Gemara in Tainus says that there are three keys that Kodesh Baruch Hu keeps completely to himself. That no one else has a koch over. Kodesh Baruch Hu keeps completely within his uh, jurisdiction. And one of them is the key of Parnasa. So the idea of the Shlisel Chala was that the, the, uh, the key of Parnasa um, is a reminder that it's completely in the hands of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that should be a Paul Dimyon to, uh, to encourage Tefillah, that everything is in the hands of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the less cynical version of where it comes from. The more cynical version of where it comes from is uh, Easter breads. Pesach is around the time of Easter, and there's a much more much older custom than Shlisel Chala that they would make uh, that Christians would make breads with a cross in it, um, the shape of a cross in the uh, in the in their breads for for Easter, and uh, the old keys were shaped more or less like a cross. So that's the more cynical version of where it comes. But wherever it comes from, to just say I'm going to put a key in my challah and now it's going to be Parnassah, and you forget about the whole point. The whole point is the tefillah. The whole point is that you're supposed to be davening for Parnassah because you know that it's all in the Baruch's hands because the whole key is only in the Baruch's hands. That's what it's really... Uh, that, that's, that's, if it's supposed to be about anything, that's what it's really all about. Uh, school is saying Parshat Torahs every day. Also, same idea. Parshat Torahs being a sandik, all of this is to motivate is to motivate tefillah. The Ktoris itself is a school of Rashiras, Baruch Hashem Chela, that Akrosh Baruch is going to give us wealth. So we want to spread the wealth. That's why the Mishnah says in Yuma, they would say that that anyone who, who hasn't done Ktoris before should come do Ktoris now so that they could spread the wealth. But uh, so saying the Parsha Sakatoras and uh, Sandakos, it relates to the fact that the Medrash says that being a Sandik is like being Makter Ktoris. So that's what they say, the, the Gra. And, and others always wondered. I've been a sandik so many times, I still haven't become wealthy, I don't buy the whole school. Okay? Others say, no, but Hasidim, they say, it doesn't say you can become wealthy with money. The Gra had plenty of wealth. He was wealthy with Torah, he was wealthy with other things. Okay. 
Um, the more recent vintage minag is getting mezuzahs checked when there's a problem or ksuba checked by a makubal, and not to, not checked to see if there's halachically a problem. You have, you have problems in the, in the house, so it could be you're not doing the mitzvah mezuzah properly. You have to check all your mitzvahs to make sure you're doing the mitzvahs properly. So you go to a sofer to check the mezuzah to make sure that the mezuzah, if you never had them checked properly. But to go to a makubal who's going to look at your ksuba, and he's going to say, oh no, you can't have that name now. Change the name we'll right away. Rip up the ksuba and, and change your name, change your wife's name and write a new ksuba. So that's, uh, that's terrible because uh, that's halakhically very problematic. Both the mezuzah one and the ksuba one. Why? Because if someone insists they go to a makubal to check the mezuzah. So they can go to Eretz Yisrael. So they'll take all the mezuzahs from their house and go to Eretz Yisrael. They're leaving their house without a mezuzah. That's a, a bit of mitzvah saseh every single second that they're, not, that they're leaving their house without a mezuzah. Unnecessarily. If you need a check, so you have someone come check quick as you know as quickly as you can. They're going to be away for three for three weeks, and you know for a month in Eretz Yisrael. Why leave the house without a mezuzah? That's terrible. You can't do that. By the ksuba, it's a bigger problem because by the ksuba you can't just change a person's name and then write it in the ksuba. It's not them. It has to be kavua that that's their name. How you kavea the new name? It has to be in use for thirty days already. But what do these Mekubalim do? They'll rip up the Ksuba right away and write that and write a new Ksuba. So you use that Ksuba, so you're violating the Isu. The Gemara Ksuba says that it's an Isu to stay with your wife without a Ksuba. You don't have a Kashru Ksuba in the house if, you, if that's your Ksuba. So that's also a terrible thing, that they do such things as a Tshuva in uh, the Shailas Tshuva's Binyan Av, Chele Gimel Ebenezer Simen Nun Zayin, Rebben Sion Abba Shaul writes in the tshuva like this, that it's a terrible thing, this, these people, these mukabalim that check the ksubas and no halachic basis, they go and they river, and they convince people, oh, this is the reason you're having shalom bayis problems. Because uh, this name, that name, that's what the shalom bayis problems are, are all about. So Rav Bakshi Daron writes at the end of that tshuva that he heard from one of these people that Rav Vosner he, uh, gave a skama to this person. So he has printed in the tshuvas that he sent a letter to Rav Vosner, the, tshuva, the letter that he wrote to Rav Vazner is printed in the tshuvas, and Rav Vazner's response is printed. And Rav Vazner writes uh, that I've clarified uh, what these people do. That this is not correct, Rav Vazner says. Unless you find a psul in the ksuba, that there's a problem. Then you have a whole nusuch of what you write. You write a nusuch of a ksuba that you found a psul. To put these thoughts in people's head that what's happening to them is because of the ksuba. No, that, what, what your, your job is to tell people to do tshuva, meisim tovim. Not, oh, it has nothing to do with your mitzvahs, meisim tovim. It has to do with the fact that your wife's name is Shira, and I don't like the name Shira. Rip it up. No, nothing. You have to, you have to be more people. And he says, as far as this guy, I've already sent him many times what I think about it, says Rav Asner. He says, it seems that he's from this kind of person that just doesn't listen. So well, what do you want me to do? I already sent him what I think. So now going back to our questions. What does this all have to do with that? The questions that we started with, I... I since I got this, I don't know. Okay, about five minutes. So going back to our questions. The nether about Tashma Shamita. So uh, is, it, is it something that you need to be matter nether? Do we say the whole thing is a skula that's an Avera? What do you mean? So Lechorah, it's a nether of a mitzvah because giving tzedakah any time you do anything is, uh, is a mitzvah. As my brother said, in only the way he could say, he says, if you take a nether, you're going to give tzedakah every bowel movement. That too is a nether of a mitzvah. 
it's no more meaningful maybe than, than this, but it's also another mitzvah. So it requires Hatavis Nadan, it's a real nadar, it's something that's meaningful. I, I thought when I first heard it that it's very Christian sounding. Um, that Ki'ilu, yeah, you need a kapara for every Tash Meshamita. We hold it's a mitzvah, you don't need a kapara. You need to give a kapara every time. So I thought Roshachta said, no. Roshachta said, there's a minna, that when a woman lights candles, that, uh, that, she, that, that she should give tzedakah before she lights Shabbos candles. Why? Because Azar, B'nai, the Gemara says in Shabbos Chav Gimel, having no bottom Talmud Chacham, you have children on Talmud Chacham, when you Azari B'nai. So when you want to be mechazek, that mitzvah that's, that's going to be a school of Rabbanim Tamir Chacham. Why is that a school of Rabbanim Tamir Chacham? That, that one appears in the Gemara. So likely because Ner relates to Shalom Bayis, the same Gemara in Shabbos says, and Ner Shabbos and Ner Chanak and Ner Shabbos Adif, because of Shalom Bayis, having light in the house leads to a more tranquil home environment where people aren't tripping over each other, and having a healthy home environment is a big school to have uh, well-adjusted children who are going to listen to the way you try to raise them. So that's probably why it's the school of Rabbanim Tamir Chacham also because uh, a woman who's uh, who's Zari Biner, that's normally when a woman davens, so that's when she davens for her children. So she's very careful by Nerus Shabbos to light in time and to have enough time to offer the tefilos. So then she'll her tefilos will be more more hurt. But the Mishmar says give tzedakah. So Shach said, what do you think is a better uh, school to have uh, for for children? Mitzvahs Nerus Shabbos or Mitzvahs Ona? So which one, whichever one you mechazik with tzedakah. So he says, okay, makes sense. They're mechazik the, with tzedakah by uh, giving tzedakah. Okay, I, I don't know. It sounded it still sounded a little funny to me. It requires that Torah's arm. So the halach is, if you know what you're being matinator for, you have to. One member of the beisdin has to know what it's for. You don't need to be mefari to all three of them. So if Shatz said, if the guy's embarrassed, send him to YU and I'll pull over two other rabbis and I'll know and the other two won't know. Mustafa, <laughs> he'd be embarrassed if to tell from Shachter. So I said, you know, let him come. Let him come to me. I didn't see why it's so embarrassing. If he had to be mafarit, how many times or whatever, you know, or how much money? Maybe that. I didn't see why this would be so embarrassing. Okay, what about the knife situation? So if you Google it, in uh, in Sichos uh, Haran, Rav Nassim Mibraslov quotes from his teacher of Nachman Mibraslov who in turn refers to a tradition from his great-grandfather, the Baal Shem Tov, that the, a knife should never be given as a present, because, for whatever reason, a knife should never be given as a present, because it's passing on, uh, I don't know, danger, something bad. A knife should never be given as a present. So we're passing on your own success and giving it away, giving it up. That's, that was the, so that's the opposite, no? So they quote from uh, the, another grandson of the, uh, of, 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 of the Baal Shem Tov, that uh, does not mention not to give the knife as a present. Not only that, um, in, in a letter to someone else, he says, please accept from me this gift, a beautiful silver knife. So apparently something got lost in the, trend, in, in, in the transmission of that one. But the Chayzim Lublin, apparently it's, it's said, would distribute knives to his Hasidim on Rosh Hashanah as a school of four, wealth, not Shidduchim. So uh, why? Because Chotei Chayim L'Kol so knife so it's a way of uh, of motivating such a tefillah that should be a little bit uh, strange to assume that the knife is going to be so everything's lost the whole tefillah is lost the whole making yourself uh, better a better person do more mitzvah no just use the knife use the knife for the first time so the girl had a lot of questions though can she take the knife 
I don't see why not. You know, someone gives you a knife, you're allowed to take the knife. I don't think it's that well desire to take the knife. Does she have to confront her friend again about schoolers? Apparently she had this conversation. I don't think she has to confront her friend again. Is she allowed to use the knife regularly, tovel it and use it regularly? I think so, but probably not to Rosh Hashanah, because if someone gives you a gift all tonight, so the whole gift is only all tonight, you probably have to follow the tonight, Medina Mamanus, but uh, not because of the schoolah. But just make sure that you don't believe in this. And that if you get engaged, that you realize it's because of the great sukhus you have in not believing in the stupidity. That, uh, <laughs> so, but it's all, uh, it's all stupidity. You should realize that. And as far as the mikvah, so I thought the mikvah thing, going with the pregnant woman to the mikvah, that's probably based on the Gemara and Brachos Tavchaf. The Gemara and Brachos says that Rabbi Yochanan He used to, Rabbi Yochanan used to sit right by the Shari de Tvila. Why? So that when the women come out of the tevila, the first thing they'll see is Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan was so beautiful, and maybe in that sechusta of such beautiful children like Rabbi Yochanan. So I thought the Gemara, the Gemara sounds like it's saying that the first thing they see when they come out of the mikvah is somehow going to affect what happens later that night. It's somehow going to affect the uh, con- you know, conceiving a child or whatever. Or whatever. So, uh, so I, I thought maybe that's what this minute is based on. If the first thing the woman sees when she comes out of the mikvah is a big fat pregnant belly, <laughs> so that will uh, maybe motivate, as from our Sharites in Bamitzia Pei that it's like Makala Shal Yaakov Avinu with its own. That that which uh, one is, has machshavos of bishazivug is somehow going to affect the nature of the children. That's Alpi Kabbalah. They used to recommend that people should have, should think divrei Torah bishazivug. Chassan and Kala teachers no longer recommend that. It's probably not such a good idea. But they used to recommend Alpi Kabbalah. Rosh Weinberger tells Chassanim, if you want to think, if you want to be a very holy Jew, so bishazivug, you could think, thank you, Rebbeinu Shlom, for creating such a wonderful hana in this world and allowing me to partake of such a wonderful hana. That's as from as you're allowed to be. But he didn't think that you should be thinking. So, um, but uh, but that was the idea that machshavos during. Uh, so I thought maybe that's what it was based on. I was, someone uh, was discussing with me. I was in uh, YU last week, and someone said that in Washington Heights, by the mikvah, they have a security guard. So so there's a room that when you first open the door and you get into the mikvah, so there's a security guard right there, and then you have to wait till you're buzzed in to the next to the next room. That's their security measure. So they want to know about the Yisur Yichud with the security guard. So I was thinking though, is the first person they've seen when they come out of the mikvah the security guard? It's hardly a Rabbi Yechanan. Remind me of Rabbi Yechanan sitting at Shari Tvila. But, uh, but there's no, this is not a, this doesn't mean, I don't think this, uh, I, I, I don't think such a, a minog is, uh, is uh, quoted anywhere and I think it's a bit of a, an extension beyond what the, what the Gemara says, what Rabbi Yechanan's Kavanah's war, who, who knows? The Iker is, a person should be mispalled, they should be whatever, whatever motivates that tefillah, they should be mispalled, that they should, they should be zocha, to have children, you get brachas from tzaddikim, we believe even a birch sedot, I'll take kalabay necha, kal b'chomer, a bracha of a great tzaddik, that's a famous story with the ragachavr, someone came to the ragachavr when he was sitting with another rav and said, can you give me a bracha, and the ragachavr said no, and because uh, he wasn't into giving brachas, he was a chassid, but he didn't like giving brachas, so uh, the other rav who was sitting there said, said, Rabbeinu, the Gemara says, even a birch is hediot, a bracha of an idiot is alte kalabeinecha, kalvachomer, your bracha. So the Raghu Shabbat said, so instead of me giving a bracha with a kalvachomer, why don't you give a bracha without a kalvachomer? <laughs> so, uh, but you know, but we, we do believe that brachas mean something and all. So go, brachas and daven a lot and do mitzvahs and maizim tovim. We have to remember what the Rambam writes in the Akhtama Teperachelech. The Rambam says, we have this most beautiful religion that has so much meaning and has so much value and has so much depth. And so, and, uh, but 
bunch of fools take it and they turn it into a silly superstition. And that's not what our religion is about. Our religion is about Hashem, it's about Tefillah, it's about connecting to the Rebbe Shalom. It's about things that actually have, have considerable deep meaning. Let me chat with him today.